Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you this fine Thursday, the 23rd of March, 2023? I'm doing quite well, thank you. I appreciate you. Um, I've just been super busy, and in fact, I've kind of got to run right after this because I'm about to jump on a live stream. So let's just get this out of the way. A lot of cool stuff, uh, as usual. I just finished an ebook. I think I talked to you about this all last week. You can get it at bit.ly forward slash springboot3, all one word, dash growlvm, G R A A L V M, dash ebook. And it's a free ebook. All you got to do is put your email and whatever, uh, and uh, you can, it's 50 ish pages, a little bit less than that. Uh, on Gravium Spring Boot 3 AOT support. Check that out. Um, I've been really excited. I did a video on uh, on JetBrains' channel a few weeks ago, uh, and, uh, you know, I think it was an okay performance, and people seem to like it, so maybe you will as well. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, as usual, it's on my, I've been tweeting it on my profile at Starbucks Man, so check that out. You'll, you're bound to see it in one of the um, more recent uh, tweets. Uh, just because I'm trying to point people to it, I feel like I did a pretty okay job of covering a whole breadth of things, uh, a sweep of things in Spring Boot 3, and there's just so much there, so I'm I'm hoping people will check it out. It's called Bootiful Spring Boot 3 on the JetBrains YouTube channel. Um, and of course, uh, you know, I've been continuing my daily uh, live streams, almost daily. Um, next week, my friends, I'm going to be in Los Angeles uh, for my kids' spring break, so uh, I will slow down the pace of the live streams for that week, you know, for the nine days or so. I'll try and get in a stream or two, um, but uh, no promises, right? I just, I'm technically on vacation. I'm taking PTO next week. Um, but, uh, but of course, the podcast will continue and, you know, the normal stuff will still be there. Uh, and also, Java 20 just came out. Java 20 just got dropped on the 21st of March. Get the releases now. They're already available uh, in SDK, man, so you can do SDK list Java, find the version, and then do SDK install Java, uh, and then the specific qualifier uh, ID of the version, right? It's got a lot of cool stuff, so check out that release. Um, And also, it's just been kind of like the day it released, we had the absolutely craziest wind and rain here. Uh, There was like a cyclone that drew water from our pool uh, into the air, like four or five stories. It was, uh, wow. Just absolutely bizarre. I've never seen that in my life. Also, I did a video over on the Spring Source Dev YouTube channel, right? My my usual Spring Tips series. I did a video looking at Vodenflow and Spring Boot Three, uh, and uh, I think you'll like it. So check that out as well. I'll try and put all the stuff in the uh, show notes. Um, as always, my friends, today is going to be a great episode. Today we talked to Mark Thomas. If I asked you who's one of the people that you probably don't know about who does more for the Spring ecosystem. Then you know, or as much as uh, as much for the Spring ecosystem as almost anybody out there. I don't know who you'd guess, but it probably wouldn't be Mark Thomas. Mark Thomas works on Apache Tomcat, which, if anybody's followed the story, the the uh, the storied story, the storied history of Spring, you will know is central to the rise of Spring. It enabled people to move away from application servers, and it is still by default when you use Spring Boot Start a Web. It's still the stack that you get. Spring MVC plus Tomcat, right? Apache Tomcat embedded. And while there are other choices, and while you can use uh, Jetty and Undertow for a servlet stack, um, it's 
you know, far and away the most popular choice to use Apache Tomcat. So uh, Apache Tomcat's amazing. We love it, obviously. And uh, I finally got the amazing, the illustrious Mark Thomas uh, to join me for an episode. And that's the episode you're going to listen to today. By the by, this episode was also done on the YouTube channel, on my YouTube channel. So youtube.com forward slash at coffee software, one word. So I'm crossing the streams trying to make it that if you want to join me for these interviews and ask questions of these amazing people, uh, you're always welcome to. And otherwise, just listen to the episode. It'll be fine. This one was a good one. I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, I've been following the story from from the get go. Right. I've been using Tomcat for 20 odd years. And it turns out he's been contributing to Tomcat for most of that time. Um, what a legend. So, friends, enjoy. Have a great day. And uh, I'll see you next week. So today uh, is, oh, hi, everybody. Hi, Simon. Hi, JF. I don't know what JF stands for, but I'm sure it's good. Um, Java Flight Recorder, JF, <laughs> just without the R, right? Uh, today we are joined by Mark Thomas, a, a living legend, a uh, luminary. Uh, uh, um, I don't know. What's the right word? You're not quite, a, you're not, you haven't been knighted yet. Uh, which, no, definitely which, not. Which could it, no, no, <laughs> that could happen. You're in the UK. That's a thing. Um, you haven't, you're not a saint so far as I know. I think that's a, you can't do that way you're alive anyway. But you're definitely one of the all-time most important people in my, my ecosystem, in my world, in my uh, career, certainly. Uh, Mark Thomas, everybody. I can't believe it. You're here. Um, uh, yeah. So, so, I don't, so, I don't, so I don't butcher it. Please tell the people who you are and what you do and why they should care, uh, and then we'll get into it. So as Josh says, uh, I'm Mark Thomas. Um, I'm a committer on the Apache Tomcat project, and I've been doing that for almost two decades. Two decades? Yeah. Almost two started, decades. Started, started, started in 2003. I think it was around the summer sort of time I started, and I was a committer that autumn, I think. So it's a on long Tomcat? Time. Yeah. Like, is there any other person who has more singularly and consistently been a contributor? That's, that's uh, yeah, no, that's really uh, Remy's been around for all of that time. Um, he was he was there when I arrived, so Remy, uh, with an F, uh, uh Remy, um, he uh, I can't even pronounce his surname off the top of my head, it's so long since I've actually seen him face to face. Um, but he's one of the um red hat employees i believe uh, originally oh, worked cool. on um jboss and stuff like that i'm not exactly sure what he's doing these days because again i'm with with the pandemic pandemic and everything i just haven't really had a chance to sort of meet people face to face and have those sorts of chats it's uh, you tend just to uh see people on the mailing list and you t- tend to be talking about technical stuff yeah uh yeah i mean i that's it's the nature of open source right? and you you're one of those rare birds that works between several different communities by by definition what you're doing isn't just what you're doing it's it's the give and take of of open source yeah but also integration right you're 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 working with uh the what what is now called the jakarta ee folks you're working with uh um the spring team obviously you're working with yep. just all sorts of sh- stakeholders that are not just people using apache tomcat for apache tomcat um it- Indeed, uh, th- since um, the Jakarta stuff moved over to Eclipse, um, I've become more involved and been able to sort of be more hands-on with the code, which is great. Um, 
So that's more sort of working with the specs that Tomcat then implements and trying to sort of add, a, add a sort of features that people are going to find useful with that. And of course, like I say, with the Spring team, um, mm -hmm. get great um, feedback from them, both in terms of features they'd like to see in the specifications, particularly the serverless spec, but also some absolutely great bug reports. Uh, a lot of the um, async, async servlet debugging that got done was primarily because of bug reports, or quite a few of it, them was because of bug reports that came out of the Spring team. Um, Fantastic. We, yeah, we had one particularly fun one where, and it was great, I, it, it was one of those really hard to reproduce bugs, but um, the original reporter had actually come up with a reproduction scenario that would do it. I and mean, he had a chunk wow. load at it, and it, but it would do it after sort of, you know, fairly quickly. And between us, I think we ironed out a couple of spring bugs, a couple of Tomcat bugs, and we found a uh, kernel level bug in the network handling as well. What? Like, <laughs> wow, that, that, you struck pay dirt. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you I, don't often I, get be, like a... No, I mean, and to be fair, I think the kernel team had already found it um, and they'd fixed it in the latest <sighs> version, but the versions we were using were, were a few versions behind. But yeah, it all sort of, um, yeah, it, that, that, that was a good bug. I and mean, it took us ages to work through it. Said, oh yeah, we found it. We fix a bug in spring or, oh, I found it, fix a bug in Tomcat. And no, nope, still reproduces. Oh, now what's going on? So no, it was a really good one. Um, but like with wow. you know, any bug, if you've got a reproducible test case, yeah, it's so, so much easier to, to work with. Well, so that's, that's, I think we should definitely talk about open source in a second here, because I think that yeah. is so key and it's a, it's a, it's just good hygiene for working in open source and, it, and for engineering, isolate it, extract it, identify it, fix it. But, but okay, let's talk about that. You got into, now you're finding bugs in the kernel. I mean, that's where you are now. <laughs> we know, you know, that's your life today. And by the way, that under, uh, for people watching or listening or whatever, um, that's why you don't write this stuff yourself. I mean, you've got people who have been working on this for literally two decades. They're not done, for any definition of done. And there are still bugs to be found at low, as low a level as, as the kernel, you know? And give Mark a minute or two, and he might even find a kernel, uh, find a, a CPU bug, you know? Like, um, so, so, so that's what it means to build the foundational subsystem of the internet, right? And, and it's an amazing rarefied air that you're in right now. But how did you get started? Like, what's the, why did you decide to do this instead of become like a rich, handsome billionaire, you know? Um, <laughs> well, if I knew the, Rich uh, Hanson Billionaire was an option, I think I would have taken it. But uh, that was an option. Sure it's not a very real one, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure it was really available to me at the time. Um, <laughs> so I was doing some IT consultancy, and mm -hmm. uh, the organisation I was working for was doing some stuff with um, client certificate authentication, and the I think it was the Sun One application server just wasn't working. Couldn't get it to work. Um, and we switched over to well, let's let's try this open source JBoss thing, um, okay. which at the time sort of was basically embedded Tomcat pretty much as is, just lifted the code, plopped mm -hmm. it straight in, um, spun that up, and of course it worked straight away, didn't it? Fantastic, great. So yeah, let's use this, and we we tinkered with that for a little bit longer, and got to a point where we needed to configure the TLS cipher suites. There were some we had to use, some we had to avoid. So oh right, fine, yeah, know how to configure that set the system property, oh, nothing's happened. Why not? Um, dug into the code, and if memory serves me correctly, there was a comment that said, to do, must make this configurable. So, oh, okay, I can do that. So I submitted a 
I think that might have been an idea of how to change it and got told in no uncertain terms, no, not like that, do it like this. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was perfectly fair criticism. Um, I was hard coding stuff and not going through the configuration files. So I then went to um, went back, had another look, uh, coded up the what was essentially an additional attribute on the connector in server.xml to specify the cipher suites, submitted that as a patch, got accepted, got incorporated, I thought that was yeah I enjoyed that. Pro yeah, I, I yeah. like problem solving. It's it's the sort of thing that I've always enjoyed um, fixing stuff. So thought well, that was quite good fun. Now, I've, I've kind of finished with that for work, but um, there's the, all these. Yeah, I think it's like six seven hundred open bugs at the time. I thought oh I don't really don't really know any Java. Yeah, I know enough to tinker and. You know, alter a few lines to get something to work. I don't really know Java at all. I hadn't really done much of it before. Wait, what were you doing then? Uh, I was just a general IT consultancy. So um, I'd done bits oh. and pieces of software programming. Um, dare I say it, mostly in Visual Basic before then. Yeah. Um, well, there, so, are, there are exceptions to every rule. You, you are certainly <laughs> in one of them. So um, I hadn't really done much Java, but there are all these, there's all these bugs. I'd enjoyed fixing the one problem. I was kind of looking for a technical hobby, something to do with an evening um, that didn't involve spending half my salary on books from Amazon to read those. Um, so I just essentially started working my way through the Tomcat bug list, sort of found one that I thought I could figure out and then thought, well, okay, I figured that one out, find all the other ones like it because now I figured out that bit of code. I know how it works. The other one should be easier and started off like that. Um, Avoided oh, class loaders like the plague at the time because I had no idea how class loaders worked. It was it was just nobody does. Complete, no, it was magic at that point. Um, took took me a while before I tackled my first class loader bug. But um, yeah, I worked my way through the series of bugs and I spent quite a long time essentially fixing bugs, rolling releases, answering user questions, um, and just well, that's... carried on doing it. And just because I enjoyed solving hmm. problems, really. Well, so okay, that so a couple, somebody even asked earlier just a minute ago, uh, how do I get into open source? Basically, like how do I contribute to major open source projects in Java? And what you just described is everything. Yeah. It's just it's that as simple as like I can fix it, scratch my own itch. Yeah, it, pull exactly. down an issue. And what what I've seen, it has to be something that you want to do. If you <laughs> if you go and ask somebody to tell you give you something to do, it feels too much like work. And for me. Um, because it's I, you know, I do it because I enjoy it. It's essentially it's, yeah, it's essentially was my hobby yeah. um, until Spring Source came along and off, offered to pay me money to do my hobby. Um, but you, you, it's got to be something you're interested in. It's got to be an itch that you want to scratch. Um, so yeah, find find a project you like to use. Find find something you think needs fixing and just dive in. Um, right. Talk, yeah. talk to the community. Um, if, you, if you've got ideas for improvements, de definitely talk to them, get some feedback. Um, you, know, you don't want to spend months of your life on a pull request only to find that the community says, no, we thought about that two years ago and we don't like it. No, thanks. Um, so yeah, <laughs> talk, talk to the community, get, get, get involved, find out where you can help. Um, and it doesn't have to be writing code. You can answer user questions. You can help fix the documentation. Um, and there's loads of different ways you can get involved in open source. Yeah. And what you just described is also critical. Yeah, these don't come to the table with a 5,000 line pull request uh, that nobody asked for, you know, that, that improves things in ways that are just great for you and 
without any consideration of any other sort of ongoing trends or improvements or yeah. uh, fault lines in the code base, you know, without talking yes. to the team. That definitely start small. And we had a, there was one on the um, Tomcat today. Uh, I think it came in over the weekend. Uh, really simple fix. Just in an error message, we copied and pasted. There should have been one error message for requests, one for responses, and they've been copied and pasted. And we, they, they were basically both using the request object. And one should have been request, one should have been response. It was a one word fix, but it was a useful fix to have. Um, so you, know, mm -hmm. it's, you can start with little stuff like that. Start small, build up, have a look at the um, the, op the open bug lists, see what you find interesting. But it, right. But yeah, definitely, you've got to have that thing. You've got to want to do it. Um, you've got to have that interest. It's got to be an itch you want to scratch because if it isn't, it, it's not fun and you won't want to do it. Now, uh, the other thing is, it's, it's got to be something that they want you to do, which is to say, yes. you need to make the case for your participation and your contrib contribution. Uh, and that's why, again, what you did, I have an idea, talk to them, you interacted with them. Yeah. And only uh, once you were had their blessing, did you go forward with a su yeah. supported path, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, found, I found a bug. I said, yeah, I want to fix this. How about doing like this? They said, yeah, fixing it, great. Like that, not so much. Do it like this. Um, and yeah, it was, it was nice and easy. Um, <laughs> I think you, you do have to be pre prepared to make mistakes in public. Um, mm -hmm. That happened. <laughs> I, the first time I ever committed, I was sort of on 10, I must have checked about 10 times before, before I actually typed commit um, and pushed it to the repository. Uh, so I was absolutely paranoid about getting it wrong. The, these days it's off. The CI will catch it if I get it wrong. Um, right. <laughs> it'll be right. fine. Um, <laughs> My epitaph, let it be, he made mistakes in public. I like that a lot. Right? Like, oh, oh it's great. lots and lots and lots of them. Yeah. <laughs> Just So, okay. By the way, this is the other thing people don't realize is um, uh, this is 20 years ago. So you're not even talking subversion, maybe. You're talking CVS. Is uh, this like a patch? It was, C it, it was CVS originally, yeah. CVS, right. then we migrated su to subversion and now Git. Yeah. I mean... It's just weird to think about a time before Git, but it certainly existed and it hurt. So when you talked about making an open source contribution back then, it's a far side different than what it is today, you know? So much easier to yeah. push a button, pull request, done. Yeah, no, it was uh, one of the hardest things actually originally was just getting Tomcat to build locally so I could check it. Um, and e even with that, I think I spent about the first six months that I was working on the project actually building the wrong thing because... At some point, uh, this is back in the Tomcat 4 days, there was right. um, Jasper, the JSP engine. There was the first version of Jasper, and then there was Jasper 2. And all the versions of Tomcat I've been involved in have been Jasper 2. So it was in Tomcat 4, 1, and every, everything ever since. We don't even use yeah. the 2 anymore. We just call it Jasper. But back then, Jasper 1 and Jasper 2 were in the source tree. And because I didn't know any better, I was just building Jasper 1. I had no idea I was building completely the wrong thing. Um, but yeah, and just the build system generally was interesting. But had you used years, Ant, Apache Ant by that point? Uh, I, I no, I hadn't used Ant before, and I had to learn that as well to um, as I was getting started. And one of the things we have done in the project over the years is made it a lot easier to get started. Um, yeah, the build system simpler. Uh, Remy did some great um, refactoring. 
back in the was it five five or six o days anyway put it all into a single source tree which made life a lot easier um so much simpler and then we just automated things and improved things to the point now where you know releases are really simple and there are lots of projects that you sort of oh yeah don't really want to do a release oh it's so much it's a, it's a lot of work it's a lot of effort it's quite painful whereas yeah fine i could i could, yeah. I could comfortably do a release you know, in a, in half an hour, if I need to, it's not a great, great struggle. It's mostly waiting, to be honest. Um, Push a few buttons and stand back. Pretty yeah. much. That's what it should be. So yeah. I just realized we gotta we gotta we put the cart before the horse. What is Tomcat? I know I don't think most people are struggling with this, but just in case for the two people in the world who just have never realized that they're using it, because I think there's actually, thanks to you. And we'll get to that in a second. Thanks to you and 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 the work that was done to make it so that we could embed Tomcat. There's a huge lot number of people these days who are using Spring Boot Starter Web, and perhaps mm-hmm. maybe don't even know they're using something called Tomcat underneath the hood. Like I don't know, perhaps what's Tomcat? Where did it come from? Uh, it started as the reference implementation for the uh, Java EE servlet and GSP specifications over in Sun Microsystems. They donated it out to uh, the ASF. Um, I got involved in it once it was at the ASF. And it's essentially, it's an implementation of what was then Java EE servlet and GSP, what's now Jakarta EE servlet and pages. And at its simplest, it's a Java-based web server, but servlets and GSPs are different frameworks for producing web content. Um, servlets are essentially pure code, GSPs are a bit more scripty, uh, but they, they boil yeah. down to exactly the same interface in the end. GSPs are more of a scripting interface on top, on top of servlets, um, but it's just an API, one of many that you can use to write code, to generate web applications, um, and it'll ser- quite happily serve static content but normally, if you're writing servlets, you know, it's normally because you want some sort of dynamic content. You want some sort of um, business logic to be implemented somehow rather than just serving up the static pages. So that's what it is right. at its simplest. And over the years, uh, we've added support for WebSocket as well. So it, will, it supports yeah. that. And again, that's with the originally the Java EE WebSocket API and now the Jakarta EE WebSocket API. Um, GSP had the expression language stuff split out, so that's in a separate spec, so we implement that too. And there's the delightfulness, if I can get this right, it used to be the Java Authentication Service Provider Interface for Containers, I think. Chaspic, yeah, that's right. yes, that sounds yeah, about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Tomcat implements that as well, which is now just Jakarta um, Authentication. But essentially, it's a, plug, a way of plugging in different um, authentication providers. Um, and there's an example on the um, Tomcat website, I think, of plugging in an OAuth provider. So you, you can plug in all sorts of things through that through that framework. And Tomcat implements you, all of those. Wow. And you've got a JNDI context in there, like a small uh, yeah, one. That's, there. You have. Uh, that's part of um, being a servlet container. It's one of the things the overall platform spec says that, that you've got to provide. Mm. Um, and we don't actually meet any of and the, the platform spec full java ee jakarta ee whichever way you want to look at it um full platform spec is more i think it's about 20 or 30 specifications overall and there are different subsets of those there's the the full spec i think there's the 
or full profiles, they call them, isn't it? The full profile, the web profile, that there might be right. one or two others. But Tomcat's never really implemented one of those profiles. We've always essentially just been servlets, JSPs, and things that make immediate sense with that. So expression language came along, WebSocket came along, but we haven't really added anything else. So that it's a little bit of having to look at the um, platform spec and work out, well, which bits of the platform spec do we need to provide to support those specifications? And yeah, the yeah. GNDI context is one of them. <clears throat> um, it's probably the, the biggest and most notable one, to be honest. There's some stuff around, um, oh, um, there are uh, annotations and stuff that we've got to support as well around sort of um, pre-destroy and others who's I, to, to be honest i don't actually write many web applications actually many any really yeah. web applications yeah. so sort of my my knowledge kind of stops at the server api um right so I, I understand how it works under the covers but you probably don't want me to write the web application that sits on top well i i have no doubt you could be up to speed pretty quickly um okay so you did so okay the, the servlet spec JSPs, which boil down to JSPs are basically, for people who don't remember, you write markup with some Java code intermixed, and there's a preprocessor that or postprocessor that turns it into a servlet, and then that gets compiled and run on the, in the container. Yeah. Um, Tomcat, you just mentioned class loader issues, and people also maybe forget, again, that there's a, you have a deployment thing. You can drop a .war file in there. You can. And have it do something interesting, right? Yeah. Um, if you're using Spring Boot, you would never know, right? It's not like a, it's just not a thing we care about anymore. But, but that implies that you've got the requirement where you have to have multiple possibly conflicting classes from this, you know, Jane's app has this version of Log4J and John's app has that yeah. one, you know, um, and they need to not implode on each other and, or conflict with each other. So you get class order isolation. Um, you, you do, yes. So each, um, actually each GSP gets its own class loader. Um, that's just so we can do um, dynamic reloading of the JSPs. Um, yeah. But gen and that's more of a detail for the JSPs. Generally, each, each web application has its own class loader. Um, so that way, because a class is uniquely identified by the combination of its name and class loader within the JVM, as long as you can have different versions of Log4J loaded at the same time, provided they're in separate class loaders, and ev everything is fine and, and the isolation is maintained. Of course, that also creates all sorts of interesting problems. Um, Static and, variables. Oh, yeah. And it was back at a, I remember where it was, but I can't remember when. It was some spring conference in Vienna, probably okay. around 2010-ish. Um, and I stood up in front of a room full of people and said, yeah, you know all of those um, web application memory leak things you keep complaining about with Tomcat? Yeah, it's not Tomcat's fault, it's yours. <laughs> um, which was a, a bold claim. Yeah. Um, and I went on to talk about why I thought that was the case. And it, it's generally around, you know, you're right, you're exactly right, it's around static. So what would happen is a web application would load a class with a particular class loader. Um, and JDBC drivers are the, the classic example here. So you load up a JDBC driver, you load it with your class loader because the JDBC driver jar is in your web application. That's all fine. Right. You then register it with a JVM. 
And that essentially puts an instance of the class in the driver manager, which is maintained by the JVM. And if you yeah. don't remove it, what happens is the driver manager retains that reference forever. So it's got a reference to the class. The class has a reference to the class loader that loaded it, i.e. your web application class loader. And that class loader has a reference to all the classes it ever loaded. So if you don't unregister that JDBC driver before you shut your web application down, you basically pin the whole web application in memory. And you do that every single time you reload the web app. So of course you quite quickly run out of memory. So yeah. I was I was sort of explaining <clears> that and saying, look, that's not Tomcat's fault, that's yours. You need to you need to clean up what you're doing. And somebody came up to me and afterwards and said, look, I understand all that. We're not doing anything wrong, but we're still seeing this memory leak. What's going on? Really? So we actually sat there in the lobby of the venue. Um, with a profiler and actually dug into what was going on. And we found the first of what were many um, JVM memory leaks. So I think we found about 10 altogether in the end, but it would be things like um, uh, if you did something with the Java Beans API, that would tr trigger a thread being created somewhere in AWT, and the thread would have the current what? class loader as, it context, as its context class loader. That would be the web apps class loader, and it would jump all the way back to, but it would pin it in memory that way. And there's about 10 of these um, that all came, or eventually emerged. And all of that turned into Tomcat's um, memory leak prevention listener. Because essentially what we did, every time we identified one of these, We'd work out, well, now we know what triggers it. We'll get Tomcat to trigger it. So we pin Tomcat's classes in memory, which are fine because that's what we want anyway. And that way the web application won't. So we've then got a whole bunch of these things that Tomcat does on startup. And we've slowly been able to remove them as the bugs have been fixed in the, um, in the JRE. And then um, that avoids those memory leaks. And then there are some things that either web applications can't avoid doing or we can't stop them doing. And thread locals are another problem. Um, you oh, stick yeah. a you, you stick an application loaded class in a thread local and you're gonna have you're gonna have the same pinning problem. So there Tomcat actually just when it shuts down a web application, it basically goes through and checks that you haven't created any thread locals and left them there. And if you have it chucks them out. Um, so it cleans all that up. So all of that there is all around to help the memory leaks. But that all started with um, me making that, yeah, it's not our fault, it's yours comment in the conference. But, uh, it, it <laughs> Only to then be humbled. Stuff. Yeah, I yeah. love that to give and take. So, <laughs> and, that, and by the way, we, that we have, oh, we're going to talk about Loom here in a bit, uh, and that raises some interesting questions as well. But oh, okay, absolutely. so serverless, <laughs> so Tomcat, it's everywhere, right? And, I, and it, like, it, you, it's not just because it's old. I mean, a lot of web containers have existed for more than a decade, for example, but Tomcat was at some point the reference. Is it still? It's probably still the no, it's know, not, no. Um, oh, that was sometime around Tomcat five five, Tomcat six. Um, the Glassfish project started up, and they okay. bought Tomcat, and then that became the reference implementation. And some bits they've kept, some bits they've rewritten. Um, so bit uh, bits of Tomcat still are endure, uh, sort of, kind of. But um, stri strictly, it's uh, glassfish these days. Okay, uh, not, th not that I care. I'm just—it's—it's it's, my point is, it's always enjoyed this uh, amazing popularity. 
partly because for a long, like you mentioned, uh, JBoss for a long time, when you use JBoss, which has lots of other great stuff, but when you when you use this web container using Tomcat, right? Um, that and it being and, a implementation, I think both helped it sort of gain that awareness and popularity. Right. And then also here comes spring 2002, 2003, and we're saying you can build apps with just a server container and a spring framework, right? You don't need to pay um, IBM money basically or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was this whole, like just why do you, if you don't need it, don't, don't pay for it sort of scenario, right? And, if, and especially with spring uh, and Tomcat doing 90% of what people needed, it was just sort of like this very nice virtuous cycle, right? They could, uh, they helped each other. So I remember the early days for me, at least I remember thinking, gosh, I, I could solve any problem with Hibernate, Tomcat and Spring, right? These three things are, they're 99% of what I needed from application server X over there. And uh, I know, obviously I was misguided a little bit, but, but basically, uh, you know, Tomcat really enabled a whole new generation of web development and uh, server-side programming in the Java space that I don't think would have been possible, but for it. So how popular is it? Do you have any, like, how do we even describe it? Like, there's that's, more than one user per year, right? Yeah, that's really difficult. Um, so partly because there are different ways it's consumed. Um, mm -hmm. People can, um, so... Yeah, where, where to start? Let's let's look at let's take Maven Central to start with. So sure. we can get um, download stats from Maven Central. Uh, the difficulty there is trying to distinguish between what I might call genuine downloads to use it and the CI right. systems that are building on every commit. So it it's quite easy to judge relative popularity, um, but trying to get absolute numbers of users there is actually really difficult because you just can't tell what's generating the load. You know, I, I can tell that, I think, is it, I think Tomcat 9 is still the, the most popular version, but okay. the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of downloads in whatever period it is, is that really a hundred, hundreds of thousands of different people using it? Or is that, you know, a hundred CI systems doing a thousand builds? I just can't tell. Right. So that, that, there's that difficulty. And then, from the ASF's perspective, um, for a long time, we distributed all of our releases via a mirror system. Um, yeah, band, bandwidth was and still is to some extent expensive. It's, at least it, it is when you're delivering the volume of data we're delivering. So right. um, we didn't host our downloads ourselves. We had hundreds of mirrors all around the world. So, and we had no idea what anybody was downloading from any of those mirrors. So again, we have right. no way to tell what's been downloaded. More recently, um, we have moved to a CDN and stats are available, but I must hold my hand up and say, I haven't actually gone looking. Um, okay. It's, I, I, I sort of, I'm, I occasionally, you know, you see these surveys of which website, which server container is the most popular, which one do people use? Um, and yeah, Tomcat tends to do fairly well in those. Um, yeah. but I tend to th think things more in terms of, um, have I got, have I got questions coming in on the user's list I need to answer? Are, how am I getting bug reports? Are we getting pull requests? And if I've got enough to keep me busy and I've got more than enough to keep me busy, I don't tend to worry too much about exactly how popular it is or isn't, um, more interested in 
uh, yeah, fixing the bugs that people are finding. And if people have got requests for new features, looking at those and thinking, yeah, you know, which of those makes sense to implement, um, which ones are, you know, only got two people in the world that really want them. Um, right. And actually, if, if it's not that big a change, you know, it, it might get made. Um, if you want a hundred thousand lines of code for two people, probably not. But if you're just talking a couple of lines, then we might just do it. And it, if we think it, you know, if it looks like it makes sense, it could happen. Right. So I tend to think of it more in sort of those sorts of terms, but certainly um, we see all sorts of people using Tomcat. Um, it crops up in all sorts of places where you, you least expect it. Um, I, I quite in, enjoy sort of browse, browsing the web and occasionally coming across an error page. I think, yep, I know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> of hours. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it, 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 it is. And, and certainly um, Boot has played a large part of that. Um, lots of people I think are using Tomcat because they're using Spring Boot and they've picked it up that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and Spring before, I mean, it, Spring just naturally fit in a Tomcat. It just was just a natural choice. Okay, I've got this standalone thing. I don't need the full whatever. I could just use Tomcat, it works fine. But, it, but yeah. so if you weren't embedding it, like with Spring Boot, uh, you, you know, you had BEA WebLogic back then. I'm not sure if it's still the thing that's used in, by WebLogic today, but back then it did. Oracle Application Server, the Sun Java Enterprise Server, Apache Geronimo, SAP NetWeaver, all, oh, and uh, did I mention Geronimo? I mean, they all had like embedded Tomcats at a time, you know, uh, I don't know what it is these days, but it's just everywhere. It was just the thing you used. It was the, the web stack for most Java use yeah. cases. 10 years ago certainly one of one of the big containers i can't remember which one offhand um is still using jasper the jsp engine um because when i broke something as, as um as you said i got yelled at by them um so we we, we fixed it but um so yeah it's <laughs> um actually the, the jsp engine is an interesting one because i know um jet is now using the the jsp engine from tomcat um nice. that big that big commit yeah and that, that was a nice um, example, I think, of open source cooperation. You'd think that, oh, Jetty and Tomcat, oh, you know, big rivals, but no, no not at all. I mean, we worked together yeah. on, the, on the servlet spec. And um, when Jetty said, we're actually, we're looking at adopting uh, Jasper, yeah, but these are the things that are stopping us. These are the changes we need. Will you make them? Yeah, sure. Yeah, they, they were sensible changes that yeah, made it easier to integrate Jasper into any servlet container. So... Um, wow. Yeah, ha happy to. So yeah, Jesse's now using that, um, which, which which is you nice. Are, but yeah, it, it's, the Apache Tomcat team has been nothing if not friendly. Uh, we we, tr we try. I can, I can be grumpy sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and again, that, that's the great thing about open source. If you are grumpy, it's there on the internet for, forever for people to see. Um, oh, but I, I I try not to be. I forgot about Tommy E. Absolutely, that's another huge. Yep driver i'm sure for tomcat use you know yeah it's just yeah. everywhere you know like it, at least at least that when it's in the name it's like oh okay you're using tomcat uh but it's 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 ubiquitous as as, as can be so okay so spring boot spring when, when did you become part of the big old spring family like you know what, how did how did you so, go from servlets to spring that was 2008 so um the, at that point in time i think Spring Source had just bought a company in the US called Covalent that was providing oh. Tomcat and HTTPD support. 
um, Brewer and uh, yeah, those, those folks, yeah. old friends. Uh, so that bit of what was then Springsource were looking to expand their Tomcat support. So they approached me, and the short version of the conversation was, "We want to pay you to do your hobby." Follow up with <laughs> what? You're, you're, so I can work from home. Um, you'll carry on me paying me broadly what I'm getting at the minute, and I get to do my hobby. And essentially, my job description is go and do whatever you think is best for Tomcat, which I didn't quite right. believe that was what was on offer because it just sounded far too good to be true. Um, but yeah. it was. And that's that's exactly the job offer. So I. Um, I practically bit the hand off in um, August 2008 <laughs> and start, started working then. Um, and essentially, while SpringSource has been bought by VMware, spun off into Pivotal, pulled back into VMware, um, and who knows what's going to happen to us in the next 12 months. Nobody knows. In, indeed. Um, my job description pretty much throughout that time has remained the same. Go and do whatever you think is, is best for Tomcat. Um, right. Which is is yeah, it's great. I love it. Um, best job in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Couldn't be happier. And and we're we've we've always felt very lucky to have talent like you on board. But you mentioned covalent. That's another thing. I don't know what to what extent this is true today, but there was a time when we also had a large footprint, a large uh, sort of. We were doing a lot for just HTTPD, uh, Apache. Yeah, HTTP I think that's sort of feed, um, the actual thing. Yeah, and we, we're still. Um, I know we, we so VMware as a company, we we still have a um, version of HTTPD that we provide for customers, but I think our overall involvement in that has sort of reduced over time. Um, I don't think there's quite Just as way. much interest in HTTPD as there is in um, either Tomcat or Boot or TC mm. Server, which is basically VMware's repackaging of Tomcat. So it takes Tomcat. <sighs> It puts some nice management scripts around it, so it's easy to manage large number of instances. Because to be honest, that's one thing that Tomcat's. We provide all of the plumbing for you to be able to do that. We don't actually make sort of make it easy, or we could make it easier, but TC Server does. So there's um, a name I, I haven't heard in a minute. Is TC Server still around? Oh yeah. Oh yes. That's like, I haven't heard that name in years. So we introduced that spring source before, even before yeah. I joined the team in 2010, that was like 2009 or something, right? That's, yeah, it's, and it, oh, wow. it's, the, the basic premise hasn't changed. So it's binary compatible, compatible with Tomcat. Um, these days, the code changes, if you look at the pure server engine, there is one line of code change between the two and that just changes the default um, database connection pool that's used. Um, because the, <laughs> the, the the Tomcat ships with two, and the default one doesn't have as much um, GMX monitoring as the the other one, so we just switch it to the other one because our customers like to have GMX monitoring. Fine, uh, sure. but the rest of the rest the rest of the servlet engine is bit for bit identical to Tomcat, and then what TC Server puts around it are those. Um, Basically, utility scripts and additional monitoring tools to, just to make managing ridiculously large numbers of instances easy. So we're talking about customers who have hundreds of instances running. Um, right. So you really want to have scripted to command to create an instance, remove an instance, upgrade an instance, downgrade an instance, um, and all of TC Server makes that a lot simpler whilst retaining that 
binary compatibility with Tomcat. Um, so that's one of the things I do spend a little bit of my time doing is just sort of keeping the TC server runtimes up to date and occasionally you know, answering user questions. It's a, so they paid me to do my hobby too, right? It's the same thing. I joined, I was out there helping people find their way to spring into, on my own time and dime. They're like, hey, you want to come in out of the cold and do this instead for us and we'll just pay you. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sounds good. <laughs> well, that'll, yeah, that'll do. So I took, yeah, great. <laughs> so I took that job and, and, uh, and I've just kind of, I've been lucky because I get to, I get to forget drinking. I swim in the Kool-Aid, right? I love this Kool-Aid. And uh, so sometimes I forget that people, there are some people, not a lot, hopefully, but you know, there's some people that aren't using Spring Boot yet. Uh, and so I, I sometimes forget there are people out there still deploying Apache Tomcat by itself. And yeah, TC Server was absolutely amazing for that. I, I'm so glad to hear it's still amazing and out there and doing, you know, what it, what it was uh, initially supposed to do. Wow, that's so cool. That's great. That's news for me. Maybe it's not news for everybody else, just, but I'm glad to see that. Okay, so Tomcat is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. People built, uh, there, was a, there was also one from um, Mule. Do you remember that one? There was a, they also had a, uh, like a uh, Tomcat plus yeah, plus bundle T thing. Yeah, Tomcat or something. It was, I think it was called the Mule Soft one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then, uh, and then, well. nor I, uh, but, but all I'm trying to say is there's a, whether you see it in the name or not, Tomcat is everywhere. It's everywhere. I just don't think people appreciate just how ubiquitous it is. And so when you have trouble laying hands on exact numbers, I just want you to, I just want people to think about like, have you ever built a web app? You're probably using Tomcat at some point, right? Like there's a, on the JVM, I mean, you know, and um, yeah, I, so, I'm certainly based on um, sort of bug reports and stuff we've received. Um, <laughs> It's definitely in use at Amazon. Um, it was, and I think it still is in use in eBay. Um, wow. Then I think one of the, was it one of the pizza companies, I think was running their websites off it. Um, I forget which one. Uh, there are a bunch of newspapers in the UK that were running their websites off it the last time I spoke to them. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. all in all sorts of places, all over the place. Everywhere. And, and even if you don't eat, and that's the other thing is sometimes you might get a, it's proxied. You might, it might be yep. going through a proxy, but it's the web server of, of choice for the actual dynamic response that gets then cached and whatever at the uh, proxy layer, you know? Yeah. So there, even there, if it's a direct point of contact. Yeah. And the, the, these days, I think the sort of web infrastructure is getting so much more complicated than just here's a server with an IP address. I'll start serving stuff. Um, right. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff you might want to do. Um, it could be as simple as just putting a reverse proxy in front of it because you want some additional features that proxy has. You might have a whole CDN system in front of it. And then there's all sorts of um, complications going on. But yes, right at the back end, if it's Java-based, then there's a good chance that Tomcat will be involved. Right. And then that, and so that was true even before Spring Boot came around, right? And Spring Boot now, actually, you think about it, the first GA release would be 1st April next year, the first right. 1.0 GA release uh, 10 years ago, 2014, right? So it'll be 10 years to next year for the, since the first GA. We announced the 0 .4, 0 0 0.4 release, I think it was this year, 2013, 10 years ago, you know? Uh, so Spring Boot is, it's, it's, it's going to be big one day. You just watch and, and uh, it's, it's <laughs> one of the incredibly useful parts of it is that when you, when you, you do public static void main, you get a web server. Now that wasn't always possible. I always think this is one of those examples of where Tomcat just bowing to 
uh, uh, pragmatism and and being just a generally great open source player uh, just sort of changed the world? What? How? How did we get this embedded um, sort of experience? Yeah, there, there were lots of conversations for a while that went along. It usually went along lines of, "Well, I can embed Jetty. Why can't I embed Tomcat?" And the answer was, "Well, you can. It's um, yeah, Tomcat itself is essentially." You, you take this you take the startup class for Tomcat and that basically tells you how to embed Tomcat in any any Java application but it didn't make it easy um, so at some point and it's so long ago I forget when um, I can't even remember which committer it was I know it wasn't me um, they sat down and they sort of produced the first pass of this Tomcat embedded, which was essentially a Java class that made embedding Tomcat really simple. Um, it was set, you know, create an instance, set a few properties, start it up, job done. Um, and it had never been quite that simple before. Um, so that then, that sort of started off um, the embedded. And then actually what I think grew it a lot was I was thinking around that sort of time, we really should do rather more unit testing than the <clears throat> not very much we were doing at the time. <laughs> um, it might even have got been quite close to none. So yeah, having them having embedded made writing unit tests a lot easier. So I started yeah. writing unit tests using it. And that's kind of you know, having embedded was the seed that enabled us to grow all the unit tests we've now got. Um, Oh. So that, that that was a part of it. And that also in writing those tests sort of highlighted, oh, if you want to do this, it'd be helpful if you had a convenience method for this. So, so that sort of expanded the API a little bit to make it um, uh, more widely usable. And then Boot picked it up and sort of provided a bit more feedback on the API and also on packaging. So, so the, the reason it's packaged the way it is at the moment is largely driven by um, Boots saying, well, from our experience, the most users all just want this bit, but some users will want to be able to add that bit or that bit or that bit, but they want to do it individually. So that's why we've got the core bit. And then you can add in JSPs, you can add in WebSocket if you want them. Um, oh, yeah. So that was another another good example of sort of being able to get the feedback from the Spring team. As what you know, the Spring community is one of the biggest users of Tomcat. So having sure. that access to that feedback is incredibly helpful to sort of steer us in the right direction when we're trying to make those sorts of decisions. Um, so yeah, it all sort of grew from that. But yeah, I can't really take any of the credit for the for the development of that. That was all other people's ideas. But that's the great thing of open source. It, it's rarely one person. It's always going to be a community effort. Right. Oh, sure. I, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's, it's amazing the things that people sometimes just drop on our plate and say, "Hey, this is the thing you were lusting for, and nobody, and did it, you didn't tell anybody." Somehow, I, I've done it for you. You know, it's just here. Yeah. Have a win. You know, I love open source. It's okay. So Spring Boot, it's been the default. It's it, now Spring Boot. You know, is it's a framework, so open for extension, closed for modification. Although it's open source, so you can modify it. But but you can plug in different bits if you want. You could use other uh, embedded web servers, but you know. Tomcat, it works fine. It's fast. It's, it scales. It does everything under the sun. The code has so. It, it's, I just put, I just pinned a comment a couple minutes ago uh, when you were talking about unit testing. 
so that said, uh, after the number of years that Tomcat's been in development, its code quality must be immaculate, which I, I suppose is you, a logical conclusion, you, right? You, you'd, you'd hope, but I, I must confess, I've lost count of the number of times we sort of had a bug report and I'm, I've sort of tra tracked down the root cause. And I'm looking at thinking, which numpty wrote this code? What uh, were they thinking? Of course, you <laughs> then do a git blade that, oh, yeah, that'll be me, won't it? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Can't, can't um, win them all. Yeah, and I think the, <laughs> and the code quality has, I think, um, improved. Um, mm -hmm. So if you go back to when I joined, I mentioned those 700 bugs. So over the time that was 700 open bugs so over the time i started essentially chipping away at those and that number got down to zero ooh, quite a few years ago now probably heading towards might even be a decade ago not i'd, I'd have to go and check but the position we're in now and have been for a really long time is that when we do a set of tomcat releases there will right. not be any unresolved bugs enhancement requests are a different thing but there won't be unresolved bugs unless it's the sort of bug that we haven't got a reproducible test case for and we can't figure out so if it's one of those sure. it sometimes breaks but i don't know why yeah there might be one of those or possibly two of those there's never more than that loitering around and sometimes those turn out to be bugs and sometimes they turn out to be application errors but in terms of here's a you know here's a bug with a test case that i can reproduce that will be fixed before the next release. Um, and we've been doing that for quite a while and we've been doing monthly releases as well. And that's part of the reason oh, yeah. we, updated the, we updated the um, release scripts I talked about. So monthly releases could be nice and easy. But yeah, in right. terms of code quality, if open, yeah, we, we do close all of the bugs before we tag the release. And it's generally that's sort of the, the last thing I look at at the beginning of at the end of one month beginning of the next right what bugs are open that i need to fix right let's fix those so we can get so we can tag stuff and, and get it out right um of course what that sometimes means is just as i'm finishing up a new bug opens that actually <laughs> takes me a week to fix um, oh. and yes occasionally i think those have slipped into the next release but that's they're so close to the tagging point they really count but so if we if we know about if we know certainly if we know about it at the end of the month it'll be fixed in the mm -hmm. next month release definitely um but we've been able to do that for a long time now and just keep on top of those open bugs i think that does help in terms of reliability and stability um of course well and it means that tomcat can ride the wave of whatever whatever circumstances uh dictate right so so right now you know, I think we're in a, if we, in 10 years, we're going to look back at this moment in time in the Java ecosystem and just say, wow, we survived. Like it, it was crazy right now. This is, there's just so much stuff happening that impacts the, the foundational layers on top of which everything else is built. So Java itself is moving now every six months, we get a new version of Java spring framework and spring boot. Now, I, I suppose in part to align with that progression are, are also now six month releases, right? Or is that just spring boot? I think it's just spring boot maybe. Um, uh, and then, you, like you said, Tomcat's moving every month, and uh, you've got GraalVM, you've got things like Loom, which yep. looms over us. We've got Jakarta EE, which is not Java EE, which is not J2EE, um, uh, and yet they are, right? So uh, right now, what version of Tomcat is out there? What, are, what, what version are people using right now, the current one? Right. Okay. So 
Um, that's something else I think has really helped Tomcat. Um, what we've said for a long time is we will support three major versions in parallel at any one time. So at the moment, <laughs> we're supporting 10.1, 9.0, and 8.5. Those are all stable versions. And then um, Tomcat 11, which is currently under development, uh, that's uh, that's still in alpha because that's going to be aligned to Jakarta E11. But what that means is because we're supporting those three major versions, a stable version of Tomcat is usually supported for about a decade, which is pretty good in terms of software generally and is pretty close to miraculous in terms of open source. So, yeah. um, you know, Tomcat 8 will have been supported for a good decade by the time it reaches end of life next year. Um, so that those really long um, support cycles. There's a question in the, the chat about how that aligns with Java versions. And yeah. the short answer is Tomcat takes its lead from the Jakarta E specifications. So each major release of the Jakarta EE sets a minimum version of Java to be used for that. So um, for, for ages, we've, we've had an off by one problem. So Tomcat 7 ran on Java 6 or higher, Tomcat 8 ran on Java 7 or higher, and so on. It all then broke around Java 9, Java 11. Um, but at the moment, Tomcat 9's on 8, Tomcat 10 1 is on 11, and Tomcat 11 is currently on Java 17, um, because we will definitely stick to LTS versions, but there's a TBD whether or not that moves to Java 21 um, at some point between now and the point it becomes stable. Um, and the big driver for that, I think, is going to be whether Loom is out of preview in Java 21 or not. But that is right. also a, a TBD. Um, so yeah, we've got those. Those are the those are the three major versions of Tomcat. And we we do support those three in parallel. And I think because you know we see companies are generally a lot happier to update to a point release of Tomcat than they are to update to a major version, even though the backwards compatibility is pretty good. There's there's Very still good. concerns Ten about years. the risks. Yeah, so that they 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 tend to like sticking on the point releases, and the fact that it's supported for so long means they can realistically do that. You know, you know that if you if you start a project on Tomcat 10 now, you've got a good eight nine years of support left, um, and you know we've got a track record of doing it. It's not just something we've just, we said yesterday that we will do. You know, we've got a track record of doing that all the way back to Tomcat 5, possibly even Tomcat 4. If I go and check the dates, I can't remember. Um, so it, it's not just something we say, it is something that we have just demonstrably been doing for at least the last decade. And wow. you know, have every confidence that we will continue to be able to do that in the future as well. <laughs> and I, just because you're nice, I mean, I, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, okay, so that brings up an interesting question, which is if, if Tomcat moves to, so is it to take a, would you like optionally support Jakarta EE 11 and the Java 21 baseline, or would it be like a hard requirement that all apps using Tomcat for Jakarta EE 11 would need to now, and by but what I'm talking about here is Spring, would Spring now need to, yeah. I don't even know, is that a thing we have to have? Oh, that's probably I, an interesting conversation. It's, it, it's, the answer is that it depends. Um, yeah. And 
it's really what the um what the platform Jakarta e platform setting the minimum as 21 is saying is that if specifications want to use features they can use any feature that's available in java 21 but they can't use anything beyond that however if a specification doesn't use any of those features it's possible that it could still stick to an a earlier java version um oh. and if they if all of the specifications that tomcat essentially it comes down to what's the minimum version of java that can i compile the apis with and if i can if tomcat can compile the jakarta ee 11 apis that it needs with mm. java 17 unless loom comes along there isn't really any strong case to move to java 21. i mean, internally what we do um we have this lovely little set of classes called jre compat um and what they do is provide compatibility for different versions of java so for example um there's code in java 16 that lets you do um oh unix sockets i forget what they're called uh, domain sockets or something anyway some right so some some direct network access thing that isn't an ip address um, right and so although tomcat versions of tomcat don't require java 16 if you run on java 16 that functionality is enabled through jre compat and you can access those features um, we did a similar wow. thing with to enable alpn so you could do http2 on versions of tomcat java that nine. didn't have java which one was it eight or nine that, that had it i think eight had it yeah. so it meant you could still you could still do http2 on older version on, on tomcat 8 uh, which would normally depend on java 7 where alpn wasn't available so we, wow. we do things like that so there's a difference between internal features we might want to make use of like that like alpn and actually what yeah. you need to compile the apis with um so we there was there were there were good reasons to move up to java 17 at yeah. the moment i love java 17. i'm not seeing a strong reason to move tomcat 11 to java 21 nor am i seeing any reason for any of the specs tomcat implements to move to java 21 but the big caveat the elephant in the room as it were is is loom and what happens yeah. with that might 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 well could potentially change that that assessment but at the minute if things stay as they are at the moment my prediction which probably means it's wrong but um best <laughs> engineering estimate at this point in time is that tomcat will baseline on java 17 um but will obviously ensure that it runs on any current version of java um so it'll happily run on 21 22 23 whatever number we happen to get up to um, right and we've never really had a problem with that running on newer versions of java um the only thing we have to watch for um, is there's some nifty optimization things in the expression language around knowing what oh, classes yeah. exist in, in the java lang package so as long as we've got an up-to-date list of those and we've got a unit test that catches that we're fine um but yeah I, at the minute i think java tomcat 11 is going to run on java 17 but loom and we'll see it looms, yeah. Which gets us to—I I don't think we could have had a better segue to Loom than 
a ongoing discussion of Loom. So, um, like, I'm really excited. I read your blog last mm-hmm. was it last week. I don't know. It was, yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it, in one sense, it was uh, the blog. By the way, for folks, uh, is uh, spring.io forward slash blog. It's just scroll down. Like, I'll put it in the chat here. But basically, uh, you wrote a blog last week, um, or at least it went out last week, uh, sort of comparing. Uh, you know, so, or, or analyzing some of the um, possibilities of running a, a yep. based application on Loom. And you know, it wasn't surprising. I don't think it was surprising to a lot of people um, what the results were. I mean, it's obvious that you're going to get these benefits. It was just really cool to see it, you know, to see it actually borne out by these tests. Yeah, I, I, the, I, I, what was interesting for me um, was that, um, so if you... It, it it does it does depend what you compare. So, if the first thing I wanted to look at was, um, is there more or less overhead using Loom compared to, um, so let's call it Loom and virtual threads or a thread pool and platform threads, and then we'll we'll know what we're comparing. Uh, was there a immediate benefit purely for switching to Loom? Um, ignoring all of the other benefits, is it just lower overhead or is it higher overhead? Don't know. So yeah. the first thing I looked was was sort of comparing the two. And whilst it is true that Loom does look to be more performant, there are some fairly hefty caveats with that. Um, and those caveats are that the test was contrived to look for differences between the two. So the, the bit, the work that Tomcat was doing was cut down to the bare minimum. And for example, I removed the access log just because just writing to disk, even if it's an SSD, was actually skewing the results considerably. So the test was, I wasn't comparing a what you might consider to be production realistic to production realistic. Sure. It, it, it was engineered, so Tomcat was definitely in there and it was processing requests, but I was trying to make the, the servlet bit, the absolute bare minimum, so I could actually see was there any differences. And with a very simple Hello World servlet that spat out about 256 bytes and didn't really do anything else, the, there was a difference. And at its most extreme, it was about 25 microseconds that Loom was faster. Now, yes, it was faster, but... 25 microseconds really isn't very much. And in the terms of, you know, is a user going to notice that? Not a chance. Um, to be honest, most, uh, a large proportion of, I think, um, web applications aren't going to notice that. However, if, and it's a big if, you're running millions of millions of requests pretty much constantly, and they're all really, really, really quick, over time, that yeah. difference will build up. You know, you will save... CPU cycles, you might even save some server hardware, you will save energy. There are benefits there, but they are pretty, compared to the overall magnitude of a typical request, they're pretty yeah. tiny. Um, the other um, the other thing that was interesting in those results was that the performance of the thread pool actually got worse when you gave it two threads rather than one, which was a bit of a shock to, yeah, that, that's what I, I'd, I'd expect it to about double. A loom, you give it two threads, you get about double the throughput. The thread pool, the throughput actually went down. So 
that was interesting. And then that throws in all of the usual fun and games of as soon as you attach a profiler to anything where you're talking about those sorts of margins, the profiler overhead just blows your results out of the water. You can't see a thing. Um, it all gets quite entertaining. So with yeah, a, a word little, for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With careful use of the profiler, doing sort of the bare <laughs> minimum, sort of trying to see what was going on, um, and a little bit of very carefully written logging just to see where the delay was happening. What what it turned out was the delay was essentially getting threads in and out of the pool. Um, and the queue that is used for that isn't as good in uh, at, at handling sort of that sort of concurrency compared to the queue that Loom happens to use for its queue of work. So there are things you could potentially do with thread pools to you know, use a different queue. Um, mm -hmm. Possibly, I, I hesitate to say tweak the one we've got because the one we've got is essentially lifted directly from um, Doug Lee and the Java Util Concurrent. Um, okay. and I, I, I do not rate my chances of improving on what code he wrote very highly, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> what I might be able to do, though, is that queue is essentially a generic queue whereas we only we only need it for a specific use case so what we might be able to do is cut out some of the functionality we don't need and possibly shave some overhead that way maybe maybe but it's big if yeah it, big if and it's only 25 microseconds at the outside so it's not wow that high well, so on my the, list but well, so the performance isn't my main concern it's more my scalability how many requests can i handle per second i thought loom would help there uh, um yes and no it, again it depends what you're comparing so hello world in terms Something. of so, so hello, hello world uh not much difference um okay right it's if because hello world is a little bit smaller that 25 microseconds does does become obvious once you start to get to larger responses you don't really notice it um and also the the problems with um concurrency that you see with with the thread pool by the time you get up to four eight or 16 concurrent threads most of those mm -hmm. problems have have disappeared they're, they're not they're, they're they're right down in the noise again so loom and the thread pool are about the same if you take it if you take it further and go beyond the point where you have and get to the point where you have more threads than you have cores available on your test server then loom starts appears at least in my results to handle that situation slightly better but it's still only slightly and let's be honest you're in a position where your server's overloaded anyway so right. you, you're the, the the fact that loom does slightly better in a bad situation is interesting but it's the server overall is in a bad way and you really need a second server to spread the load anyway so there's small improvements there yeah um now in terms of where where there are huge benefits are if you have code that is largely blocking. So if, you, if you're using standard servlet blocking IO a lot, then where yeah. Loom, what Loom will give you is much, much more scalability in that case. Um, because Loom essentially automatically, without you having to do anything, turns that blocking into non-blocking. Um, so you instantly get scalability because you don't have platform threads sat in that blocking, doing that blocking IO. 
Loom basically releases them to go off and do other interesting things. So if you're in that yeah. situation, yes, big scalability improvements. If you've already come against that problem and you've said, actually, right, we need to fix this, and you've either used Servlet Async or you've used uh, Reactor or a similar library, there are there are you know, other libraries are available. Um, sure. Once once you get, if you're using some form of non-blocking, there doesn't appear to be much benefit in moving to Loom. Its performance isn't any particularly worse. It isn't particularly better. It's it was actually there. Sometimes um, I did a test comparing Servlet async solving the same problem as Loom plus blocking, and sometimes Loom was better. Sometimes Servlet async was better. Um, and that might even have been, I mean, I was doing a reasonable number of tests to try and get something that was statistically reasonable, but sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say hand on heart, those results were statistically significant. Um, and they were, they were pretty similar. So there's not a huge amount there. Um, one of the things still to look at is if you've got, um, if you've written async code. Yeah. Is there any benefit to essentially you've you've written this you've you've written the same blocking non-blocking code that Loom's got? Is there any benefit to effectively rewriting that in such a way that actually you get Loom to do the non-blocking bits and you remove the non-blocking complexity from your code? Um, and I did a little experiment with that in Tomcat, and the results were doesn't appear to be, but I really need to go back and do it properly and and sort of repeat the tests and ensure that I actually get consistent results. But overall, it seems to be that Loom gives you comparable results to switching to serverless async, reactive programming, or pick your pick your non-blocking like. framework of choice. It sure. it is it is what Loom isn't is some magic JVM magic that will give you even more scalability than that will already give you. So if you've switched, if you've if you've already switched to non-blocking, I don't think Loom is going to make it significantly better. Um, to be honest, I'd be surprised if you could measure the difference in most cases. Um, yes, there there, you know, there are always some apps that run better one way than some apps that run better the other. Um, we 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 saw that with you know, Tomcat over the years has had different connector implementations, and mm. you can write you can write tests that work better with one non-blocking connector than the other quite easily. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that one's better than the other. It's just that that particular application is suited to the way that that particular connector happens to do things. And a lot of it's to do with timing and whether um, things end up going back into the pool or can get reused straight away. Does stuff get in line? Does it get sent? You know, does it have to spin up another thread to do it? And yeah, it, 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 there's lots and lots of variables, but overall, it looks like Loom and um, async are comparable where you nice. get benefit is simplicity because mm -hmm. i would much 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 rather write blocking io than i would non-blocking i non-blocking right. is a pain and you add error uh -huh. if you need to do error handling and let's be honest you do need to do error handling it's tricky to get right um yeah so it's if, if i can just do a try catch catch an io exception and do, do a blocking read or write happy days much easier to manage but i think i think it's whilst if you're starting you know, if loom was available today 
which it isn't. Mm -hmm. And if you were starting a new application today, then there would, I think there would be an argument for at least looking at the possibility of just write simple blocking IO and use Loom and don't worry about this non-blocking stuff. But we're not even at the point where you can do that yet because Loom is still in preview. Um, well, I sort of wonder if the use case is, hey, I've already, I've got these older apps that are written against Tomcat and using the serverless API and they're not using serverless sync and they're using, like you just said, these blocking yeah. IO oh, sort oh, of use cases. Oh, oh, Loom, Loom will let that scale, yeah. Massive scalability. Yeah. Give it wings yeah. without having to rewrite or embrace yeah. the uh, reactive stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how hard is it? To, you did tests. You just said Loom is not available, and yet you've done tests with it. So it's clearly possible to swap it in. Is it just a thread pool, an executor? Uh, like um, it, it's uh, the way we do it in Tomcat. Uh, there's a Loom module in the source tree that you can look at, and essentially it's a very very simple ex executor implementation that when it receives a task, it just spins up a new virtual thread and says, run it. Um, so there's no pooling. There's no, you know, pooling virtual threads is utterly pointless. Um, yeah. So Tomcat just sp spins up a new virtual thread and fires it off. Um, one caveat that probably is worth mentioning is yeah, if applications are using things like uh, thread locals, um, oh. those, are, those might, those might not give you the benefits you're expecting with Loom. It depends exactly what you're using the thread local for and how you're using it and where you're using it. And so there are there are things where it will work quite happily if you're using it as a way of passing context around across APIs where you can't otherwise pass context. You should be fine. There is potentially a small performance performance hit with Loom and thread locals, but it's not too bad. However, if you're using thread local as a proxy for what's effectively CPU core cache, then that's not really going to work with virtual threads. Um, and you really need something because it, else. Before it was one to one, you wanted to yeah. have only four cores, four variables, four pieces of data. Yeah, well, I, so for it wasn't even that. I mean, in Tomcat, Tomcat's got a thread pool of, say, 200 threads. Um, sure. So we'd have a, we'd, we'd cache some things like, date formatting is a classic thing we tend to cache that per thread because it's expensive to create and it's not thread safe so at least it wasn't um so we cache that in a thread local that that's fine when you're using platform threads for virtual threads you don't get any of those benefits because you're basically generating a through new thread local for every single virtual thread you create so some of those benefits we don't get so you need to look at the, you need to look at that and the other thing you need to look at is synchronization um, oh, the yeah. one thing we needed to change in Tomcat before we could um, actually get Loom up and running was that to avoid all sorts of horrible, horrible bugs that were a complete pain to debug, um, we basically put a whopping great big sync block around processing a request to ensure that only one thread could ever process a request at one point at one time. We, did, we didn't ever want two threads trying to process the same request at once. Um, so that basically put the entire processing in a sync and Loom does not work well if it, if the thread, basically if that thread, if a Loom thread got stuck in that big sync, it would just stay there. It couldn't swap it out again because of the sync. Um, so what we, what we had to do is just swap that sync for a lock. It was like a two line change. It was easy. Um, but by swapping it for a lock, Loom is able to swap out of a lock, um, and then swap back into it later. Huh. Um, so, so you're saying using... synchronized, synchronized parenthesis, 
whatever. Uh, it, it, it depends how you – short-term sinks that you're not expecting to be held for very long are fine. Um, they won't cause any problems for looms. It's lo it sinks you're holding – synchronized blocks that are there – you're in for That's a what... long period of time. That's where the problem will be. What you really was, you were saying support, sink, 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 and I was like, is that you meant synchronized sorry. blocks? That's what you were saying. Yeah, sorry, yeah, synchronized blocks. Sorry. What you really okay. what you really want to avoid with Loom is you do not want to be doing blocking IO within a synchronized block. If you right. do that, you will not see the benefits you want to get from Loom. If you avoid that, you should you should be fine. And I say with Tomcat, once we've moved that one sync, it was synchronized block, it was easy. So the first use case of uh, you're passing context around from API to API. Like Spring Security, like where we keep your yeah, uh, current authenticated user, uh -huh. that should be okay. okay. Yeah, that, that that should be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure the Spring team are well aware of all the potential implications of this here. But yeah, I, that kind of stuff. They, they, I I'm about. sure they are because I've I've had quite a few sort of Loom discussions with them, and yep. one of those discussions was around synchronized blocks and whether there were any problematic ones. And they've I know they've removed several. Um, yeah. They're not aware of any any more, but you know, if if any are identified, then I'm sure they'll address them. Um, Spring Spring this, is pretty responsive to that sort of stuff. And and they've been doing this for years. It's not just Loom that precipitated a lot of this. It's a uh, reactive in general. We've just removed a lot of like blocking synchronized mm -hmm. bits in the code base over the last decade or so, writ large. You know, I I also you were talking about how the access log that was that reminded me of something the good Dr. Sire, uh, our friend the good Dr. Dave Sire uh, said, which is that he noticed that um, where there is no non-blocking implementation, Loom added no value. So for example, files aren't, there's no NIO files, there's async file channels, whatever they're called, but they're not NIO, there's no, um, what's that word? Uh, for socket IO you have, oh gosh, what's it Polling called? You know what or... Polling, yeah, well, it's, it's a thing where you can, where you can, Get notified based on uh, when it's time to write, yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah, polling. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, with, uh, with 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 async, there's async, but that's not the same as non-blocking file file IO on the J JDK, right? Um, uh, he probably knows more than that, more about that than I do. To be perfectly honest, um, I tend to worry a lot about um, the IO and which how, how yeah. that works i've spent a long time looking at tomcat's io layer the file the file system i haven't and I, tomcat generally doesn't need to use the file system that much um and yeah. access logs well we um and we, we we take care to do stuff like that outside of what you might call the critical path for the request so the right. request should have gone back to the user before we write the access log but yeah that that's always going to be um Potentially, and of course, the other problem you've got is you've got to synchronize it because you can't have multiple threads writing to the access log at the same time. Otherwise, you'll get all your messages mixed up. So, and generally, what Tomcat tends to do is that sort of stuff gets put in a queue, and then a separate thread will write it out, which is the asynchronous bit. Um, right. But what that what that essentially means is you've got to allocate a platform thread to go and do that writing. But yeah, it's just if you want access logs, that's kind of the price you have to pay. Um, yeah, and they they are incredibly useful when things go wrong. So, yeah, <laughs> you do. Yeah, you're and <laughs> and it sounds like you were in a situation just a minute ago. The, the way you were describing it, you don't have your access logs. You can't profile it because that skews the results. You know, you've yeah. got your sh short shortenders performance. Uh, you know, 
bug or whatever. Yeah, we had even we had, yeah, you had to pull all sorts all sorts of tricks out for that. I mean, the, the one that seems to work for if you can um, if you can identify the block of code where things are going wrong, um, even if even if you don't know exactly what it is, if you can identify that block of code, um, what I found can often work is rather than putting debug log messages in the middle of that block and messing up the timing and then you can't reproduce it. What has worked more often than not is just stick the data you're interested in in a, in a local variable, hang on to it until you've got past the, the block that's interesting and then log it. So you're doing slightly delayed logging, but you're still getting all the information you need and it's a heck of yeah. a lot quicker just to copy that value into a, into a field than it is to actually write the log message and that seems to work and that was one of the tricks i used when i was trying to track down where the where the loom delay was um but yeah i mean once you get to those sorts of timing issues where you've got really high load and everything's really quick as soon as you attach a profiler it all starts to go horribly horribly wrong often um, just because it's just the slightest bit of overhead offsets the timing, and then it then it, it just stops. You, yeah. you can't reproduce it. You can't figure out what's going wrong. Um, it's yeah. Th th those those are the bugs that I nor normally sort of score in a sort of yeah. That's going to take weeks to get to. Bottom. You, you do. You get there eventually. It just takes a sure. long time relatively. Well, Mark, you get there eventually. Most of the rest of us just leave issues for you to figure out. Like, thank you so much for all all that crazy stuff you're doing for us. Um, what is the okay? So we talked about a potential future with Loom. Uh, it's mm -hmm. coming. We just don't know when, and that's a yeah. You know, I I get why they're keeping it a little close to the vest because they don't want to release something that's whatever. It looks finished. It feels like it's pretty close to finished. I don't know. Maybe they got even more magic they want to do, and I, I thank them for that. Um, but uh, there are but in the meantime, there are certainly some things that are landing soon. Can you tell us about what? users of Tomcat might expect that'll delight and surprise that they may not have otherwise been aware of in the last year or two or year oh, ahead. Um, uh, oh, that, that, that's put me on the spot. Um, Sorry. You, 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 you'd think <laughs> I'd have a list of these ready to, ready to reel off. Um, what, what have we been looking at? Um, well, so everything Tomcat, it seems. Yeah, yeah. So trying to think, Tomcat 11 is coming. I'm, you know what? I'm going to cheat and I'm going to bring up the change log in another window. Um, okay, you should. Like, I, I think that's the power of open source. It, it feeds you yeah. right back. One of the things I, one of the things I've gotten from this discussion with you is that people should definitely be upgrading their versions of Java. That's the other thing is, like, you've got a great backwards compatibility story here with uh, Tomcat, and you can use whatever version of Java is supported by the distribution of Tomcat you're using, but why just move move to java you should be on java 17 at least today i think you know just me just josh uh and and you know 21 is coming out 20 is coming out this month march as we record this 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 month later yeah. this month it's coming out java 20 i mean blows my mind you were talking about java, java tomcat 6 used java 5 right and i remember those days i remember using tomcat 4 in production and uh you know now here we are a couple of decades hence uh let's see here right so what is yes. it so i've got some uh, I, questions oh yeah yeah it got, I, i'm still um trying to is that that's not what i was expecting 
we got a good question here. I'll just uh, speak to that while you're looking. Uh, what is the difference between a web server and an application server? Uh, application servers uh, purport to provide a bunch of extra uh, middleware, things like messaging and, uh, uh, you know, so on. It's, things that could have otherwise it, been done by a framework like Spring. I, I, I generally think of it as the difference between static and dynamic content. If somebody says web server, I'm expecting it largely to serve up static content. Um, if you say application server, then I'm expecting some sort of functionality, whether it's um, ordering stuff online or filling in an insurance form or a bug tracker or, or something. It, it's that, I mean, it's the interactive bit that, that's different, whereas web server is pretty much static content. Um, right, so what's, what's new and a lot of what's um coming in tomcat 11 is so sort of what I, I would class as incremental improvements um and they're generally picking up what's coming in the next versions of the specs so that's things like um picking up the updates to all of the um rfcs so the http spec has been through a couple of iterations um, there's lots of clarifications in there how to handle edge cases, so we'll be picking up all of that. Um, just looking at what what servlets adding, um, uh, a clarification about things like we we're talking about how difficult it can be to write async code a little while ago. Right. It's even more difficult if the servlet spec isn't exactly precise about how particular methods are meant to behave. So we, we've clarified some of that as well, which should make like, people's lives a little bit easier. Um, oh, questions a, big, a big one is security manager is going. Uh, Tomcat 11 oh. is ditching support for the security manager, uh, which is, could be a big thing for, for some people. And, and the security manager was useful back when you typically had a large servlet container running lots of different web applications, potentially from different sources that you wanted to isolate. And the security manager was what let you isolate them and to some extent let you run untrusted code. It was by no means perfect. It was it was still trivial to, to um, deploy a, a malicious application that would completely denial of, completely DOS the server and, and the security manager couldn't touch it. But it would, it would help on a, a lot of areas. As we sort of move to the sort of Spring Boot style of things, we move to containers, you tend to have one application per server, per process, per container, per v. The, the purpose of the security manager has become less useful. And my understanding from the GRE side is supporting it was becoming more and more difficult. Um, so it's on the way out in the GRE. Uh, it's been removed from Jakarta EE 11, and so Tomcat 11 won't have it either. That's probably the biggest change of all of them. Beyond that, it's lots of little clarifications, little improvements. Um, we're adding support for a do patch method to support, for those that want to support the HTTP patch method. Um, yeah, lots wow. of little bits and pieces like that, but at this point, it's largely um i always call it the bulk is incremental improvement well um, okay um, so that's the other uh, the other thing i you mentioned and kind of got me thinking what's the state of http2 these days what are we like um i, I don't know be, be, uh, being used a lot um certainly out, yeah. out on the um 
the net. I, Tomcat doesn't support HTTP three at the moment. Um, That's a thing. Wait, there's an HTTP three. I'm still getting used yeah. to HTTP two. Yeah, are you talking about speedy? Uh, uh, no, speedy is the old name for HTTP two. Um, yeah. That was that was what Google came up with originally. That was like the prototype, and then HTTP two replaced it. Uh, HTTP three okay. is it runs over the pro the quick protocol, which you may have heard of. Oh right, that's what um, I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so Quick is a protocol that runs over UDP rather than TCP, um, and HTTP. There's a reasonable amount of HTTP, and HTTP three then runs on top of that, um, and there's a reasonable amount of that sort of traffic around. We haven't seen much demand for it from Tomcat, but that's largely because Tomcat sits behind reverse proxies and CDNs. And they tend to terminate the HTTP three, so it's not something that Tomcat sees, but it's on our radar. And um, I think once Project Panama um, reaches maturity, which is another of the JDK projects, this oh. is the one that lets you put um, native code and easily integrate it into the into your applications without having to go through the joy that is oh don't just just yeah um i i i always shudder slightly when i have to go and fix that code um so yeah <laughs> we, we, we can say goodbye to jni um with project panama and once we can do that then we can probably um we should be able to find a quick implementation and essentially we will use a native quick implementation and then just build http3 support on top of it um, I don't wow. see us building a nat a Java-based quick implementation in Tomcat, um, largely because to to actually implement quick, you need two things: you need some fairly low-level access to um, the UDP packets, which the last time I checked, the JRE API doesn't provide, um, and you also need to access effectively the, the TLS internals in order to do the um, encryption you need for quick. And again, those internals aren't exposed through um, the Java APIs. Um, I think OpenSSL will be exposing them or is exposing them in the current version or will be in the next version. It's fairly close to being available there. So there's lots of things we need that I really don't want to re-implement myself. And when they're available, then I think um, there's a couple of committees that have said they're interested in doing a quick implementation. It should be fairly easy. Um, oh. One of the things, well, re relatively, one of Famous the things, last words. Well, indeed. Um, but one <laughs> of the things that worked well with um, HTTP2 was yeah. because of some refactoring we did to the connectors years ago. Um, it used to be the case that the, there was an HTTP protocol implementation for BIO, another one for NIO, another one for NIO2. And we basically refactored that so there was one, and then there was a common interface to whichever connector you happen to be using. And when we did HTTP2, we were able to write it once, use that interface, and it all just worked. So hopefully, HTTP3 will be broadly similar, um, and we won't need to write multiple implementations. But that'll but effectively quick will just become another connector that will sit underneath. Um, wow. it's actually, it's going to have to expose a few more things than that. But yeah, quick might be a little bit more entertaining, but broadly, um, we should be able to do that. But that's very much waiting <clears throat> on those other components being available. And that's uh, that in turn is, I think, going to be great for 
you know, if you're in spring, if you're in Springland, you'll just you'll consume it from the the usual uh, yeah configuration. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll just pick it up and it, it'll it'll be there and you'll get the benefits without you having to do too much. Mark, you're you're a legend. I cannot believe I got uh, ninety. Uh, uh, minutes of your time after hours after you'd already done your uh, day's work uh, serving the the, the, the the community um as we wrap up are, is there anything else we should know first of all anything we forgot to get to i think we've, we've covered all the good stuff no um we're good okay thank you and are you on the internet and if so do you want to be found and if so where can people uh find you uh, you'll I'll always be found via the Apache mailing list. Any sort of Tomcat questions, um, head over there. Um, use, if you've got a user question, ask it on the user's mailing list. We'll be more than happy to help. Oh, I wasn't talking about it for... Yeah, that's great for customer support. Yeah, I mean, you, do you have like me, a... Me, a, me personally, yeah, you... not, not, I don't tend to hang out on the internet like that. Yeah, social media Sorry. and me don't really... I've, I've never caught the social media bug very much. Um, and I... Um, the, the bits that I do tend to be um, for Tomcat. So if, if you see me around on the internet, that's generally where I am. So um, if people want to catch hold of me, that's usually the best way to, to get hold of me. Um, my, um, yeah, my, my Apache email address, markt at apache.org, that, that will always reach me. Um, Wonderful. For 20 years, apparently. Like, that's, yeah. that's amazing. And, and, and if you do ask me a Tomcat question that way, I probably almost, I will almost certainly punt you, punt you straight back to the user's mailing list. That's <laughs> but, the way it um, should be. Yeah, definitely. But no, uh, it's, it's, it's been great. I've re really enjoyed it. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank for you. Thank you very, 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 very much. Uh, everybody else, thanks for joining. Have a great day. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as that really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.